All right, guys, welcome back to the show. We have a very special guest, a very different guest than we than we normally have. Normally, we have uh, distillers and people talking about whiskeys and stuff like that, which this is the same thing, but it goes into a little different caveat. Um, so I want to introduce Tobias with E-T-O-H Spirits. Here's Tobias. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Thank you for having me uh, on, on, the, on the podcast. Thank you. No, no problem. No problem. I, I've had multiple people on my uh, respond to me and ask about something you that you guys specifically do. And they were really interested in that. And so I thought, what better way than to have you on and explain it? Because if I try and explain it in a personal podcast, it's not going to come across as I'm not a, <laughs> a physicist or whatever, or a, a chemist or whatever. So um, it'd be a whole lot easier for you to explain it. And uh, so let's start with obviously your your story, but like let's start with a little bit of backstory to what what got you into this. And you know, is spirit making, spirit transfer, something you always wanted to do, or did you just kind of fall into it? Let's see if we can try to do that. Um, uh, as as you just said, my name is Tobias. I am the uh, founder of E2H Spirits, uh, heading out of Copenhagen, Denmark, in Scandinavia. Um, we are, I guess, now a seven-year-old company that went into full production about three years ago. Um, I had a background in brewing. I used to run a Danish craft brewery. I have a degree in food science, so I have a big understanding of, of physics, chemistry, and, and how to produce uh, food and what goes into a product. Um, I've always been fond of, of, of spirits, especially whiskey, which I would say Scots on your show because I'm European, but so I say whiskey, but you say Scotch. <laughs> Um, I lived in Scotland for half a year while I worked for a brewery. Um, so it's 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 a trick that's very close to my heart. Um, I left my, my old brewery and I thought about what was out there, what should I do? And I started looking at barrel aging because barrel aging, we, we use the same principles in our brewery. You know, you put stuff in barrels and they become better. And I wanted to understand the process of barrel aging. And what I realized is that you have very, very little information about what happens in a barrel. You have great experts, you have master blenders who know exactly how to do great blends and can see see flavors. They like the ability to to like see to be a visionary, to know what what could I do with these products. There's so much data on fermentation and distilling, you know, you know exactly how you make your cuts. You know what barrel you pick, but but then you just wait. You just, well, we know from experience that five years in this barrel in this warehouse typically turns out well, but we don't know why. We just know, we know it works, but we don't know how it works. And that was the fascinating thing for me. We tried to, I wanted to start discovering and understand why are you barrel aging and what happens inside a barrel. And I would say there's, there's, there's two things at play here. Um, beer, wine, are so to say also aging biologically uh when you have a metalactic fermentation in a wine barrel that is a bacterial fermentation happening as it ages um spirits on the other hand they are chemically dead there's no life 
yeast, the bacteria cultures in a hundred proof spirit. So it's all basically chemistry. And for me, chemistry is the beauty of flavors. You might say chemistry is uh, is artificial colorants, etc. But when I say chemistry, I talk about vanillin, furfural, ethyl acetate, all these different aroma compounds that that exist in in a in in good spirits. So we started to look into what happens in a barrel. Uh, what is the components of the oak or the wood? What 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 or which different congeners uh, gives aromas to the spirits, and then we started to try to look into could we accelerate it, or even could we start gaining control of the process? Because when I look to other great products like cheese or the sausages or hams, they have like a dairy scientist would have absolute control over the ripening of the cheese with hour by hour controlling the environment, humidity, etc. They know exactly what's happening as a cheese ripens. But but here, well, you you didn't know what was happening. And that was the thing that caught me onto this. That's that is that is awesome. That that really is. And because I mean we all know that when you put the whiskey in the barrel, something magical happens. You pull it out and it's good stuff. Or you're like, oh man, that barrel sucks. I don't know why that happened like that, you know? And so you're taking, you're going down to the scientific part of it and getting to the, I'm going to say molecular strain of it and what compounds in the wood are doing the thing that they're supposed to do and not using the ones that are making the negative effects to it that that to me is so interesting obviously the reason the reason we brought you on um so yeah go explain explain a little more a little further into that because that that that's amazing to me um we started examining different wood types um we had different species of oak french uh, american oak different toasting levels different charring levels different uses of barrels bdb that Port, sherry, cider, etc. We also looked into different types of wood, chestnut, plum, cedar, and they're all different. Well, they, they are similar in the way that chemically speaking, most wood is a wood is a fiber. Uh, it's a fibrous material. It base it's basically constituted of, of cellulose and hemicellulose and lignin. That's the three main types of fiber that you find in any piece of wood. Um, then you have all the funny stuff, which is all the leftover flavors, the resins, the oils, uh, all the all the plethora of tannins that's 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 present, and that's what really gives like the the special character to 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 a, a particular piece of, of wood. Um, so we tried to see how could we first and foremost, well, we need to extract it. Um, there's a lot of debates I know in the industry. Like, where does the barrel aging happen? And there's some people that claim that it's inside the cell walls of the wood, like the spirit goes into the wood, and there it reacts with the wood and it exits again. Um, we believe that the chemical reactions happens in the spirit. So it's about getting the congenus of the barrel into the inside. Well, we've built a reactor, so it's not a barrel. We call it a, a reactor. Uh, to get them in, and then we 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 uh, we we change the physics around the spirit. We employ ultrasound, heat, and oxygen, and some catalyst 
And these are vital for creating these uh, mellow, mature flavor reactions that we want to see in a product. Yeah, that 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 that's so that's so intriguing that you don't have to uh, worry about waiting on the wood to do its part. You can kind of pick and choose what parts of the wood you want it, you want to work. And then I don't know that that's. <laughs> that, that's way above my pay grade, but at the same time, it's also it's also extremely. Um, obviously, uh, we can, we can get into this part too. Obviously, it's a. I'm gonna, I'm going to say to me because I've I've never done it, um, never sonic aged or done anything like that. But like, obviously, it sounds to me it sounds like a very difficult process. Is it difficult or no? That's a very good question. Um... After we after researching four years into it, it seems easy because we we basically haven't produced any bad batches in the last two years. So in that regard, yes, yeah, easy. But we are still very humble about the approach. Uh, I mean, just two weeks ago, we had another master thesis student finishing his works on our our technology. So we are we are constantly researching and understanding more about the process because we're, we 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 would never be finished uh but yes i mean in the beginning if you ask me three years ago we were spent about two weeks to age spirit and now we're basically down to five six days is is enough uh because we know exactly what we are doing during the aging process um and i think it's one other thing is that European legislation is a bit complicated, but the whiskies we produce are not whiskies. Um, we started out by having a lawyer recommending us to just write, this is not whiskey, uh, just to make sure we were staying clear of any allegations or lawsuits. Um, but it kind of became our tagline. Like, <laughs> what is that we do? Well, we, we this is not whiskey. Um and because of the European, the way that the European rule works, uh, the, the rules work, well, we if if we can't call it whiskey anyways, we might just break all the rules. The rules for, for European whiskey making is that you it has to be aged in a barrel, a wooden barrel, not particularly oak, but a wooden barrel for three years' time. Mm -hmm. If we are not using the barrel, well, can could we use something else than wood? And for this, we've tried two examples. Uh, the recent, most recent one is that we collaborated with a Norwegian uh, brewery called the Levi, Levi Aksjeborgeri. Uh, the head brewer is American, uh, Mike Murphy. And uh, he wanted something that was like standing out, something truly unique. So we collaborated on a project where he took the, the spent grain from one of their stouts. Uh, spent grain is fiber and tannins just like oak, but wet spent grain will spoil very quickly. So he dried it up in his oven at home, sent dried stout spent grain to us in Copenhagen, and we created a whiskey that's quite unique because here we didn't employ any wood. Like no oak or cedar has touched this spirit, but it's just spent grains from a stout. Obviously, the, the spirit picked up some quite nice beery stout notes, some some dark chocolate, a little hints of vanilla. It was quite nice, but it but in terms of mouthfeel, it was a very much different kind of spirit. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it sounds like it. So you're literally using 
the the grain that they made a, a beer with to quote unquote age or or uh I don't know what you what you call it uh age the the spirit that you're putting into it that I mean so you can literally use anything and and this is just me talking off the top of my head you could literally use anything that has any sort of flavor in it um you could use that as an adjunct uh to flavor the spirit is that correct yeah I mean as long as it has fibrous that that that's that's basically the principle that why barrels work is that they are fibrous and that is what helps extracting and creating the flavors uh, the other project we did, that was a case of uh, of uh, apple pulp, which is the leftovers from cider production. Um, there we got the flavor of apples, obviously. So we had a, a bit more like Calvados-like uh, nose to it. But I think the, the 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 malt, the spent grain malt, malt whiskey was quite <laughs> interesting. It was called mashed and confused because it was <laughs> quite confused. It's a bit like comparing it to sausages. Like you put pork inside a pork. You put pork meat in a pork casing. And this is like, I like the idea of like, we are aging, we're aging a malt spirit on malt grains. <laughs> um, if we had the full circle, we would do a new collab. So the the wash or the beer that we brewed would be distilled. So it would, it would be like the exact same mm. grains it was produced on that it was aged on that would be like a full like full circle yes yeah that that would that would be that would be super cool and is that something you guys have in the works right now or no i would love to but no okay. uh we are uh let's be honest running a spirits business is out of passion uh and not necessarily great business because it's a uh, it's a uh, very global. It, you can say that's positive. It's a very global uh, business. Mm -hmm. Every producer can export to everywhere. Uh, shelf life is not an issue. So there's a lot of players, and there's a lot of really, really good products out there. So we, what we are at now is just trying to gain volume because we we make great great products. They taste good. The, we think the bonds look good, uh, but like we need to get to scale so that we could execute uh something like this okay okay so let's let's go back a little bit and talk about you had mentioned earlier about your reactor and i know that that is a uh kind of a pinnacle of of your success i'll say um in doing this uh tell us a little bit about that because it has a um a place in your own heart is that correct yeah very much so because, well, if you consider me a chemist, the, the old story is that you would name something after yourself. The story about the reactor is that my retired dad, who uh, used to be an engineer, he was really bored for being on retirement because he lost his job. Uh, so he basically helped me build all the electronics, all the digital uh, uh, PC interfaces. Every, like Everything is controlled on a tablet. So he helped me build it. I built it myself together with the Smith. So like we named it the Jensen reactor because I'm a Jensen. My dad is obviously also a Jensen. Um, so so that was, uh, yeah, it's, it's very close to my heart. Um, it was funny to build because you don't have, you don't have a, a blueprint to look at. You don't have a schematic. It was basically from the ground up, like we have some, we have some lab scale trials like we know how the sun works, we know what temperature works. 
you need to think about, okay, how do you connect all of this together in a machine? Where, where do you place the pump? What, like safety measures, you need to think about safety measures. Um, we were uh, originally planning to to work out of of a basement because that was like nice and cheap rent, but now we are confined to a shipping container uh, on a parking lot because the, the the machine is on paper so explosive that we can't be inside the building. We need to be outside, uh, which I I totally respect that there are, there are security rules about it's it's a pressurized. Uh, hot flammable liquid so obviously you need to treat it with some respect absolutely absolutely so they uh so it's a little dangerous which is which is right up my alley but um but at the same time it's also um it, it changed it changes the whiskey or not whiskey whatever you want to call it in such a way and so rapidly um how are how are you able to get I guess this gets into the geekery side of it, and you can go as deep as you want into this because we have some very geeky uh, people that listen to the show. But um, how is it that you're able to extract all of those congeners, the vanillins, the flavors, the all all the different things with this reactor? Is there specific things that you do to specific uh, spirits? Like I saw that on your website that you have a rye whiskey, you have a bunch of malt whiskeys, uh, even some American bourbon whiskeys. Um, well, quote unquote bourbon, obviously. Um, how is it, are you using different techniques to extract different congeners for each one of these spirits? Yes. <laughs> I just want to um, I, I just want to put, pinpoint out our bourbon is up for you to decide. Of course, we import bourbon from the U.S. because bourbon can only be made in the U.S. and A. Uh, but and but I'm I'm not sure who governs what happens when you import a bourbon and then I start treating it with flavors and. Our our bourbon, we infused it with uh, with uh, coffee beans and some vanilla pots uh, and a bit of nutmeg. So I'm not sure we destroyed the label bourbon because we we bought something that was bourbon. It had to be aged for a minimum just to be called bourbon. So I'm not sure, but but from 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 my point of view, it is it's still bourbon. Uh, but bourbon is not governed in the EU, so there's nobody here to tell me if it's bourbon or not. But we typically try to import the best spirits that are available. So we import the malt spirit from Scotland. Our rye spirit is, is, is imported from Germany. And yeah, obviously the bourbon has to come from the US. Um, spirits are very much different. Uh, we have the pleasure of there's a few uh, Nordic whiskey producers that have thought it fun to do like a one batch trial. Uh, these are anonymous and haven't been released yet. Uh, so, like, we have seen very different new mix. Uh, the two Nordic, like, we, we, when it comes to rye spirits, small spirits, so much can change. Uh, yeah. We've tried something, uh, we tried to do vodka as well. We've tried to age what we call Akvavit. So, mm -hmm. Akvavit is this Scandinavian heritage spirit. It's basically just like gin. But instead of juniper, we use uh, cumin or dill as a as a flavorant. Wow. But it's basically gin. Uh, my co-founder Alexander, he's from Poland, and there they actually claim that they would say that they invented whiskey. 
because before they were barrel-aging whiskies in Scotland and Ireland, they were producing a product called Staka. And Staka is something of an oak or a special kind of wood-aged vodka. And vodka is made on grain. It is it vodka is a grain spirit, and some whiskies are grain spirits. So it's like so fun to work with different spirits. And yes, every spirit works slightly different. Um, we've even been lucky enough to get holds of some Asian produced malt spirit and grain spirit, and they were so vastly different. So I will say that we we. Uh, we believe we have the skills to work with any spirit. We could also look at rum. We could look at Hishasa or Baiju, what you could find for me. But yeah, you have to understand the aroma composition in each in each new make and what it needs. Um, how to put this? We are in uh, Denmark is a a country with a proud tradition of. Uh, food producing we are a farming country we have no uh, we have no resources so we've been relying on farming our entire uh, lifespan we have Carlsberg one of the world's biggest brewery corporations is starting in Copenhagen um, but we don't have a tradition of of uh, distilling whiskey it just recently started and the same way that we also have this and an, an aspiring uh, wine community with the global warming, we might get better climate for producing uh, grapes in, in our regions. Uh, it's still very cold, but it's possible. Um, but typically, a winemaker or a spirit maker has to make the choice. Do I produce something in my production that is intended for a short maturation? So like the shorter you put the grapes on the stems and the skins, the less tannins you get. The, the 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 quicker it gets balanced and ready to drink, but if you soak it for two weeks full on like full maceration of the grapes, you have a very harsh wine that will require years of aging before it turns out well. But then the product might be better. Mm-hmm. So I also think it's some new makes are great for a short maturation, and some new makes are intended for like a really heavy maturation. Um, and that is something we are trying to understand what governs what. And honestly speaking, when we look scientifically at our results, we are uh, benchmarking something like an 8, 10, 12-year-old whiskey, uh, depending on what compounds you look at, because there's more than 100, there's 300 compounds in a whiskey. So it's difficult to say what is the age marker. Um do I look younger than you? Do you look younger than me? I don't know. Like what? What? What do you look for? It, it's very difficult to say what is the age, chemically speaking, of a whiskey. Um, but there is, we can see that there is something like I can't make a twenty-five year old. There's something in our process we need to understand better because we seem it seems like we're hitting a cap. We are aging, and then we we can't push the reactions any further. That's 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 really interesting. So so on your when you do your reactions or your 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 process um, and and when you do your bench trials and stuff like that and you're comparing it. And I know I know it's hard to compare, uh, a, you know, a 
15 year old scotch to to your product because they are chemically different as well but like how how old are you able to to process uh the the spirit as of right now typically i would say chemically sensory analysis we are at around 8 10 12 years depending on so that's something i can say for certain I know that in uh, blind tasting, you know, people don't know what age is. You well, it's the thing printed on 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 the, on the label. Uh, we've had people guessing at sixteen, but that's because who knows what sixteen is? Yeah. Um, I'm gonna be fair and say that age is quite relative because uh, take Cavalan. I'm a big fan of Cavalan products. Mm -hmm. Me too. They are what typically three, four years old mm -hmm. because they have matured in such a nice climate. They don't, don't they don't need more. No. Um, there's a local Danish whiskey producer called Moksko. He basically employs small barrels, 50 or 40 liters. Well, he makes exceptional good whiskeys in shorter time because he uses smaller barrels. But a good old classic like Scottish uh, big barrel, mm -hmm. sometimes they require 10 years of aging because they use big barrels and they're in a cold climate. So the, the age thing is so is so relative. And I guess for you, uh, US-based bourbon producers and, and American whiskeys, well, it also depends on the state. It depends on the humidity in your warehouse, et cetera. Yep. So many factors play in. Yeah, it, re it really does. Because I'm in Texas and we have to stop the aging sometime before, we, before it's even considered bourbon we have to slow down the aging sometime so they'll have like a, a storage unit or a storage container and they'll have to in put air into it to cool it down because it will age the 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 spirit too fast before it gets to two years or four years and so they're having to you know lower the proof or whatever in the barrel just to to make sure that they don't over oak it or you know make a, a subpar product and that's one of the issues that texas is having a lot and i think they've kind of figured it out and also one of the things that i'm sure you've uh you've worked with as well in scotland and uh you know ireland and well maybe not ireland but scotland especially they use wider cuts when they're doing their distillation they'll dip the weight especially with a peated malt they'll dip way down into the tails because they know that thing's going to sit in a barrel for 10 years and it'll be able to mellow and kind of get all cohesive inside the barrel whereas for you you're going to get some really nasty harsh uh things from the peat at the uh in the tail so you're going to need i'm guessing and you can tell me if i'm wrong you're going to need a tighter cut in the middle of the hearts in order for you to produce a product within say seven days to create that same sort of profile does that make sense i i would say i would i would i would, I would be so blunt and actually try to prove you wrong because please do please do um, what we claim what we're doing is that we are not just extracting wood flavors into a spirit because that's basically anyone could be could achieve that um, if you just increase the surface area large enough, well, then you have it, getting colors easy. Um, we believe that the combination of the processes that we use is helping to mellow, to exactly 
remove those harsh green top notes that is um, apparent in any young spirit that you need to polish and remove before you get to a balanced spirit. Um, one, one issue we have, and that's you could say that's the blessing and the curse of our process, is that we run a sealed tight system. We have 0% ether share. We don't lose any volume. Um, starting to speak with uh, other producers, then they get interested because if you consider how much evaporates every year globally, that's a lot of spirit. Maybe mm -hmm. we should, maybe we should try to like uh, restrain the resources just a little bit. Um, I know that in Scotland, it's I think I calculated at around one hundred and sixty-eight million liters evaporates mm -hmm. every year. Lord, so it's that's... about the size of, of the, uh, the entire Sazerac bourbon company, mm -hmm. Sazerac. All of their yearly production is what evaporates in Scotland every year. Um, so you see, that's something. Yeah. That's... But it's so interesting for us to understand this English year because um, if, if water evaporates, well, water evaporates and you have less volume. Um, the, again, and any uh, whiskey producer you know this. Depending on your your barrel entry entry proof strength, depending on the humidity and depending on the temperature, you can look at this in very specialized physics about what what evaporates when. When is the cask increasing in proof? When is it decreasing in proof as it ages? Uh, we know the color stays behind. Color is not volatile. So yes, always the color picks up when you do a reduction of the liquid. Aromas, they also evaporate, but some aromas are more volatile than others. And to understand like what evaporates how and how it affects the product, I think that's interesting for us. And I think it's part of us getting better at producing truly old spirits is to understand if we can mimic this English air without throwing stuff out into the air. Because for me that that's important that we are we are we are being a slightly more gentle to the resources and our nature in our process. Um, and that's at least something that the big producers are very interested to hear about that we are able to basically cut all the carbon emissions from a spirit um, during barrel aging. And then you can say that, well, we also use less wood because we basically use two to three staves of a barrel in a 200 liter batch. So you save the wood, which yeah. I also think it's a good thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. That that's that's really intriguing. That's really intriguing. The zero. I mean, I which I understand, like if you have a closed container, you're not going to get any angel share at all so so that ends up saving you guys money in the long run because you're not wasting product to the to the ozone because i know with distilleries they count that off as a loss every year of all this you know and with, like you say with with all the scotch producers i mean that's a lot of angel share going out and uh that's good yeah. whiskey that we need to be drinking not not give it away so um you know that's that's uh that's amazing so tell us if you can, and I don't want to get into any trade secrets because I this is this is your not that I'm trying to build a reactor, but uh, <laughs> this is your thing. But um, kind of uh, the things that you pinpoint and like when you use sonic, when you use heat, 
like what do you what are you trying to to profile like like say you're making a, a peated malt um what are you trying to pinpoint and then how do you know when to do sonic or or whatever uh to it to get your your flavor profile does that make sense yeah uh well peat peat is something we would get from the distillate I I guess yeah you 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 can smoke barrels but but like peat would not be a flavor that we would we would be normally be creating in our process. Um, we're not going into too much detail. Um, I would say it is the combination of all the different parameters we run because temperature alone works, but you don't get the full picture. Ultrasound alone works. Um, I know there are some US companies working with ultrasound as well mm -hmm. um, on different scales. Uh, there's a company somewhere in Europe working with temperature. Uh, what I think with what I believe that we have discovered is how to have them combined in one big process. So basically, the machine runs in one big go. It's not that we have like specific sub processes, but we do know that when we start start the whiskey, we would focus on something else. Then what we would be focusing on in the last, you could call it the the the, uh, the finishing phase when you need to polish it. Uh, we would we would for example not add any new oak in the late stage of the process because then we would reintroduce uh, rough flavors that need to be rounded. So you can basically only add wood in the beginning. Okay. Then you need to take it out. So you stop sending more. Uh, half congeners into the system. Uh, wow. Okay. That's that's that's. I mean, the whole the whole process just intrigues me, and I know obviously it does it does our listeners too because because it just it's so crazy how uh, because obviously everybody who drinks a whiskey they're they're like well you know especially in America you get a a newer distillery and what do they do they source a whiskey from MGP or whatever and they use their barrels until their whiskey gets old enough to put out on the market so then you have two competing flavor profiles or they try and match their flavor profile to the MGP which why would you want to do that cuz MGP's everywhere but 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 like some if if not that I want you know, unless that's something you want to do, this is mass produce these reactors and have them in different places. But like, if they could say, hey, this is what our whiskey is like at eight years old. And then you can give a process and give them a bottle of like, so like potential uh, investors, you can say, you could do your reactor aged and say, hey, this is what our, our process will be like, or similarly will be like, you know, and then that would be a good gauge for investors to want to invest into a small business because it's difficult when you're first starting out and you're you're trying to make whiskey and you're trying to do things the right way. You end up making rum and uh, vodkas and gin, which is all fine, but your your main focus was whiskey, and but yet you have you know two hundred barrels sitting in the back just waiting for two to four years, you know, or six or eight, whatever, depending. So, like, if you could use this reactor to kind of give a, a prototype of what your whiskey is going to be like, I think that would be a, a cool option as well. Not only are you creating new new flavors, 
But with that, you can kind of showcase what the barrel will do in time. I, I'm guessing, of course. Yeah. Um, I was... 29 years old when I quit my previous company and I, the same year, founded Eat Your Experience. Uh, I was, I had recently became a father um, and I was, you know, you start thinking about how old you are and old, how much time you have left, etc. And there was just something in me that like, I'm not going to wait five to ten years before I can taste my product. I'm, I'm already, I, I, I think I'm too old for that, even just being 29 at the time. Um, I think compared to the beer industry, what I like about the beer industry is that most, I would say, like most probably, most of the great breweries out there, American, European, they all started with a home brewing kit. Most brewers, great brewers, started with a home brewing kit. Then you sell to some friends and family, then you get to buy a slightly bigger brew kit. Maybe you go to a 200 liter or 300 liter, whatever kit. So there's a there's a, there's a nice sense of of democracy. Like anybody can start a brewery. I would say it's tough times these. Like it's 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 there's a lot of breweries and the yes. COVID was was bad for everyone. Yeah. But it is possible still. Yeah. Um. So I like that most breweries started small, and you grew along the way. Yeah. Whiskey. You could make one barrel, like with your little little twenty liter still. If you did 10 continuous distillations, you might fill just one barrel, a half a barrel. Then what? You want to wait five years, sell your first bottles. And then after five years, maybe you bought a, a slightly bigger kit. So like it's it's just a, 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 a complete like stopper to, to get into the whiskey business. And I think that's partially why we saw, at least in Europe, we've seen a big gin boom. Because what do you do while you wait? Well, you make beer, you make gin, you make vodka. Yep. You try to make something you can sell off the shelf mm -hmm. immediately, and then your 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 precious product, like the reason why you started whiskey, well, it's not finished yet. Yeah. And I know as a home brewer, my first home brew it didn't taste well. No. My second home brew didn't taste well. So when I make whiskey, the first time I'm doing my my cut. How do I know that I did the right cut? I'll only know in five years' time. So it's basically impossible to improve yourself. As a brewer, you would week by week learn how recipe got better. But in terms of whiskey maturation, well, you, I don't want to wait that long. That's probably why it's good to be a legacy Scottish whiskey house, mm -hmm. because they have those decades of experience understanding what works. But yes, you're stood so right to the point that we would love to enter talks with other producers because say that you are a producer, you are thinking about something with, I don't know, a wheat meal, oatmeal, and you want to start and you would at least produce a hundred barrels to make it worthwhile, but you're not sure about this new, ma this new mash bill mm -hmm. or you want to try new yeast. What do you do? Do you make one barrel, then you wait five years, and then you might think you, you did it right? I would love to be the company that would help other producers of, of like uh, prospecting, uh, future-proofing their new mash builds, their new cuts, because we could tell them in about a week's time, is it good? Will it turn out well? 
I would I would love that. Yeah, that I mean that I don't know if that's uh you know that that's just something that I think it of and I'm, I'm sure it is it is you because it's like you get because <laughs> I've been to a couple of distilleries, especially here in Texas, that they're like, this is the barrel that didn't go the way we wanted. We created one barrel of it and it's crap. We don't know what to do with it. We almost need to redistill it or whatever. It's like, if had we known, we wouldn't have put all the time, effort, money into it. We spent a lot of money on that barrel because it was a specific barrel or whatever. Like, it would be so much easier just to say, hey, here's what it's going to look like, hypothetically, in four years. Is it something you want to waste your, your, uh, your you know, put the, the long yards in? Which I think, to me, that's a that's an amazing venture for for you as well. Um, uh, let's let's patent that and move forward. Okay, so <laughs> I, I we are we are already patent pending. That's okay, <laughs> cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, so I I took some screenshots of some of your uh some of your whiskeys or not whiskeys online, and I just kind of wanted to go. Oh, I'm not going to be able to say these. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to say them. Um, let's go over a couple of them, and you can kind of tell me the. The process behind them um and then uh we can go from there there was one that i thought was really okay this one this one to me was was really cool the riso cheerios yeah. tell that us about that English name that you, it has an english name that you can produce that, yeah, that you can, uh, absolutely <laughs> um that was uh, a collaboration with a quite famous uh, cocktail bar in Copenhagen called Ruby. Uh, the manager Michael was, we just she had a passion for 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 spirits, and and he was like, we would like our house whiskey bar cocktail bar. Uh, the bar being Ruby, like being named Ruby, we actually tried to see if we could get some some Ruby colored influence to it. Um, and it happened to be that where my family is from, uh, south of Copenhagen on the island of Sealand, uh, there's a region famous for its sour cherries, uh, the same kind of cherries you would find in Belgian, uh, Krieg Lambic, like the sour oh, yeah. beers of Belgium mm -hmm. with cherries. Those are the same variety of cherries. They are not good for eating, but they're great for aging. Um, so literally... After a family get-together with all my cousins and grand-cousins in this area called Stims, uh, I would I drove by the orchard together with my family and picked up two big bags of, of, of freshly picked uh, uh, sour cherries. We went home to the production um, and we, we added it in just as the same way we would add uh, oak. Uh, pits, fruits, skins, everything just whole. Um, and you can say the nice thing was that we we, we proved that our process works because the, the, the rice spirit turned immediately ruby. It was ruby colored. Oh, wow. But then you could say our process works. We oxidize flavors with our process. So the anthocyanins in the cherries went from ruby to red brown because that's what happens when you oxidize. Mm -hmm. uh, but it still had that little touch of a uh, cherry note because you have the pits. When you have the cherry pits, you get this famous compound called amygdalene. 
and mictadine is this almond-like flavor that you would find in amarena cherries from Italy, those like dessert cherries. Um, it's also a compound that is toxic in high levels. You need mm -hmm. to work with it with some level of respect. But I like this idea that you have this mellow character of a cherry inside a rye spirit because when they were then making uh, Old Fashions or Manhattans, you basically already had the, the, uh, the cherry element. So Michael likes that he we created a whiskey together that's like, is, is, he, his cocktail becomes more complex because then popping in the cherry in front of the customer, we integrated the cherry into the white spirit. Uh, so that, that is something we, we, we quite like. Yes. That, yeah, no, that, that to me was, was really cool. Cause, and, and guys, make sure you go on, on, uh, their website and check it out. Cause he has full descriptions of all this stuff on there. And I spent hours just <laughs> looking through the, looking through the spirits and, and, um, he goes way, way more in depth. And like, he even has a, uh, what do they call craziness factor? It'll tell you how crazy the spirit is and stuff like that. And he tells you exactly, um, you know, where, where the spirit came from, you know, the barrels, whatever, uh, because I'm looking at this other one, the, the equilibrium, and that is the, the bourbon-esque one. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it, that it, one it, is specifically not, I guess, not bourbon. Right. It's um, not, but it has bourbon we, in it. <laughs> yeah. We, and, and, we love to, again, we we have two series of 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 we have two universes. One is like we call the classics. In the classics, we have a low craziness factor, um, and we typically try to aim for something that already exists, like as Stereo Rosso aged malt whiskey, like something mm -hmm. classic, something you know already. Mm -hmm. If you are feeling safe, go for the classics. If you're feeling adventurous, we invented the novels, where it's where we try to make interesting spirits. Um, Equilibrium was in fact produced for another Copenhagen-based cocktail bar called Bruno. Uh, and in here, we, it's it's a free spirit spirit in a way that it contains uh, bourbon, it contains uh, wheat, vodka, and it contains aquavit, the spirit I mentioned earlier on the show, mm -hmm. which is this Scandinavian heritage white spiced spirit that we age. So it's like three different aged components, just a little bit of vodka, because surprisingly, vodka really cleans the spirit. So instead of, it's not diluting, but it's like splashing a little bit of, of vodka made the other flavors stand out more. Yeah. Difficult to explain. Yeah. It, it, it was actually quite beautiful. Having those notes of the archivist um, gives you like a herbal undertone. If we're not trying to make aquavit, we're trying to make bourbon with some flesh with, with some fresh flavors with some herbal undertone. So at my house, I think for, for the time being, my, my house cocktail is old fashioned. I love old fashions. Me too. And what I like about equilibrium is that you basically I'm not adding any bitters because the herbal undertones are already there. I think it's it's a very well well integrated bourbon ish 
that basically just needs uh, your choice of uh, syrup or liqueur, depending mm -hmm. on your choice. Right. And, and that's and that's what's really cool. Like 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 you're saying, you're able to pinpoint the, the flavors that you want and you're basically making what you're not. But you're basically making a cocktail in a bottle um, to where you literally just add a little sweetness or, you know, something like that to it. Uh, just to kind of balance it out a little and you're and you're done, which is which is to me is really cool because like if you've had a bourbon, you've had a bourbon, you've had a bourbon. Right. And then a lot of scotches, they all kind of taste the same. They don't taste the same, but they're all very similar. So like with this, you're getting a whole new gamut of things that you can go for. Like I, I'm guessing one of the one of the classics that you have is the Aaron Guard. Did I say that right? He, he ain't skull. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> I didn't say it right. <laughs> but, but I mean, like with that one, that one's a little more traditional scotch type. Is that correct? <laughs> uh, no, no, because that, that one is actually our most very special ones because we oh, okay. are speaking of the sour cherries. We used to have a famous old days company producing this bottles called Xiaoying. You might know that one because that's the uh, that's the go-to ingredient in a Singapore sling. Okay. Which was a way back in the like 50s or 60s. Um, but the story goes that they used to have a production facility inside Copenhagen. But when at the outbreak of World War II, they stopped the production um, because they couldn't import all the products they needed. And after the war, they reopened somewhere else. So there is now a bank or a, a foundation that has been sitting in these offices uh, since 1939. And the balance has just been there. So this is actually a funny story because we were able together with some friends to collect this barrel. So we have a 80-year-old ex cherry liquor barrel that we could salvage and then age so it's a it's like a 10 day old spirit with an 80 year old barrel um so instead of like we we are we are switching to the age things um i think that was that was a really really fun spirit to produce it is classical uh but because yeah, it's more like a grain spirit. We tried to recreate a, a grain whiskey for this one because the cherry liqueur is originally just a grain spirit. It's not a malt spirit. Right. But that, uh, something classic would, would be the one we have, uh, Hafnium is uh, Peter Romenes. We have Arbeit, meaning work, or like German Arbeit. Uh, that is our Oloroso peated whiskey. We have a little which is like a Malbec, barrel-aged, slightly peated whiskey. We have some different options. Right. Uh, generally speaking, most home consumers, they go for something classic because they are feeling safe most of the time. And I would say bartenders and bar managers, they just want batshit crazy. Like they yeah. just want to <laughs> give me something new. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that, and that's the thing. And it's good that you have those, <clears throat> you have those, the classics and then the ones that are a little more adventurous because, you know, and, and you can buy directly from your website. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. 
European based. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Anyway, we'll we'll talk about that. But if um, you're most of the we ship to Australia, we ship to Singapore. That we might ship to Japan. There's a lot of great countries we ship to, but there's this one great country in North America is called USA. Uh -huh. um, I'm so sorry, but it's such a hassle to set up and export to the US. It is. It is. Uh, I be believe it. systems, dry counties, yep. different state rules. Yep. Uh, we would love to get distribution in the States. Mm -hmm. But going to the state is like going into 50 countries at once. Yeah, no, no, it's very difficult. Um, I, I was, I was telling you earlier that uh, I'm good friends with Jesse from Stillit, and I was sending him a little package, and he's in New Zealand, and so I was just sending him a little care package that had some, you know, some things in it, like a a challenge coin and some other things in it. It took, good lord, probably four months to get there, and it cost me like an arm and a leg to get it even shipped over there. The the contents of the package were you know, uh, a third of the price of the actual shipping of it and stuff like that. So I totally understand uh, you'd have to charge a thousand dollars a bottle for, for, for your whiskey. So I, I totally get it, but, but yeah, no, I mean, the, the thing that intrigues me is the descriptions of, of your different spirits that you have. It's just, you guys pinpoint exactly what you want. And I guess that's with, with, with using the reactor, you're able to do that. You're able to say, I want this note or this, you know, this part of it to stand out. And uh, that, that to me is really intriguing. So if, if I was a producer and I said, Hey, I want a, I want you to make me a gin. I have this gin base, but I need it to punch out a little bit more of the citrus or whatever. You could pinpoint those congeners and make them stand out. Is that correct? So, I mean, our dream would be have a proper relationship with a, with a distillery because, like, like working right next to the still, like, imagine that you continuously work on your cuts and at the same time, like, being like in a real time simulation, like you're constantly getting new feedback. That I would love that. Uh, we are at the size where we cannot we cannot have the cuts produced specifically for us. Uh, so we have to taste our way into cuts that we like, but like the dream of like having our own full production where we control the mold and the yeast and everything. Being a brewer, I like being in in control. Right. Um, yeah, that's something that's something for for the future. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that you know I think that what you guys have going on, and I think it's really going to if people can catch on to it and if they can understand, like you're very well versed in the way that you explain everything. And if you can explain it to people, because people go in there and say, Oh, you're just throwing wood chips in there and making it taste like whiskey. You know, that's what, that's what we think of here in the States, you know, because that's what like the old moonshiners and stuff would do. They get some wood chips and throw it in a Mason jar. And two days later they had whiskey. Right. But that you guys are doing it a little different, a little more scientifically, and you're using different techniques to get the whiskey or spirit. It doesn't it doesn't have to be whiskey to get it to where you think it's at its best. Which that to me is is applaud worthy because uh, there's a lot of people that are just like 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 we were saying earlier. They just like leave it to chance. Where you guys are taking kind of taking the chance out of it, and you're making more concrete. Um, things inside inside the spirit to where you can say yes we can focus on 
that just, you know, for this one spirit, which that to me is super cool. Cause I've had some whiskeys in the past where I'm like, man, if this didn't have that, that tinge of harshness or something like that to it, this would be a great whiskey. But, and then I've had others where I'm like, man, this one is a little bit, um, you know, too astringent or something like that. And if you could pinpoint those things out of there, that that's, that's kind of, that's kind of where we're at with that. That's a, yeah, yeah it's pretty amazing. I, I would say we are, it's, it's my passion to understand the process and we are so happy that we have so far worked together with, with three different universities. Mainly we work with, with the university of Copenhagen. They have a great food department. So I think we have more than 10 students and different associate professors working on our projects full time. Um, and it gives us so much understanding of, yeah, we 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 are not just saying that this works. We we say that we have proved that it works. Mm -hmm. And that for me is it's interesting because understanding what we should change. And we are still learning. Like we obviously still learning because there's so much more to control and understand and things to mimic. But yes, I think we're on the right track. I think so too. So what do you see? And and, and I, this is kind of something I ask, I ask everybody, but how do you see this in the future? You know, like, um, are you wanting to work with uh, larger distilleries? Are you wanting to, uh, up, obviously you're looking at scaling up your, your process. Is that correct? I think I, I would love to, um, I would love to be able to experiment as much as I could, but maybe we should do it in, in a collaboration with a bigger distillery because there would be someone to take the volume. If I could just sit back and not think about export agreements and sales, honestly, if I just could work with like-minded geeks on developing flavors, I would love that. Um, because, yeah, this this be truly effective like to really change something in the industry we would need to get scale and i'm i'm not uh afraid of of teaming up with someone right. we could team up several places several countries we would love to just i would just like to people have different needs but i think it's i just like working with this and i would just if I could be creating weird whiskeys all day, that would be my my dream job. It's uh, yeah, absolutely. I don't I don't I don't know who wouldn't want that job. Just making making weird whiskeys all day. If you didn't have to worry about the bottom line at all and worry about making mortgage or something like that, yeah, just tinkering around with whiskeys all day would be a great a great thing. All right, so I have. I mean, I mean, you should you 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 should remember we in Denmark. Where we are, Lego is from Denmark. Like Lego has jobs where your job is to just build Lego sets all day. <laughs> that, that's and true. New sets. I mean, that's also a pretty good contender. That that's that's so a just, pretty good. That's a pretty good job. That's a pretty good job. So I I have I have one more question for you, and I forgot. So on this on this reactor that you built, this is going back a little bit. We're 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 finishing up, but um, on this reactor that you built. Um, you, you said it's, it's, I don't want to say unstable because it's stable, but it has to be done outside. So have you ever had any mishaps with it to where like you blew a gasket or, you know, something like that? I, I'm sure you have pressure relief valves and stuff like that, uh, safety devices on it. But like, have you had any mishaps with it to where you're like, oh God, I almost blew the whole place up. 
Ten fingers. <laughs> Ten fingers. <laughs> uh, no. Since my dad helped me so much with all the electronics, uh, yes, pressure release valve, uh, internal pressure sensors, if anything builds a too high pressure or too high temperature, it automatically shuts off. Okay. Uh, all electricity, all the sensors in the machine is, I would, I don't know, like the lack of work, they're like double wired. Okay. They cannot spark. Uh, we have a full-blown ve uh, ventilation of the room. So, no, no, we are, um, yeah, Danish, Danish rules, we have a very strict policy of, of like, like following rules. So, right. so it's, it's, it's a, it's a long paper process with the, the fire department and the city council, everything is in good order, but no, we have had no accidents. Awesome. I would say awesome. the only accident is, is when you thought something was uh, diluted to 40% alcohol, but it was actually 80% alcohol. You oh, know, no. when you get the, <laughs> oh no, when you drink something that you didn't know was, was that strong. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But my yeah, my yeah. my co-founder uh, Alexander, he prefers he prefers uh, sampling at cask strength. I do like cask strength, but due to a condition I had in my throat with some allergy, mm -hmm. I'm actually quite sensitive to strong alcohol, which sounds really stupid. No, that no, I'm a whiskey maker. Yeah, but I'm actually my my uh, yeah, I'm reacting a bit to to the burning sensation of strong alcohol. So I prefer I prefer the forty two to the forty five percent alcohols. That's my that'll be I guess ninety proof in a million yeah. units. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, so that, that that's funny, but but yeah, no. There's a lot of um when when people do panel tastings for whiskey, a lot of times they will proof it down really really low, like to twenty percent or something like that, while they taste it, especially with scotches. Um. So, so I get, I get what you're saying. Of course, like with a lot of the bourbon guys, they want the cast strength, all this, you know, you know, uh, 125 proof or, you know, whatever, but you know, like I, I get it, but at the same time, yeah, it's, it can, it can, it'll burn your palate out real fast, real fast. For your, I think for your, for your, for your next episode, we should talk about that topic. Because I would say the analog is that if you compare espresso with a uh, weak filter coffee, mm -hmm. um, two coffee beans, two different concentrations, but the flavors are different. And how could that be? And that's something about the concentrations. About it, it, at some concentrations, some aromas are more dominant. Mm -hmm. uh, at other concentrations you can get finer notes tuned out that you were not able to. Like in espresso, you don't get a lot of complexity mm -mm. because you just have that rich, intense sensation of, of, of espresso. But that is two different systems containing water, like a filter coffee and espresso. What's so damn interesting about whiskey is that you have an ethanol water solution. Mm -hmm. So each compound in a whiskey is either more volatile in a uh, alcoholic or water solution. So when you blend from 56 to 45 to 40, or you go below the spirits range to go down mm -hmm. to the 30s, mm -hmm. well, every compound behaves different because something gets more volatile and something gets less volatile. That's something we put a lot of, of research into understanding those cask strengths, because since we don't have a cask, we could just work with any strength. Right. 
I would say we learned a lot that there is typically a reason why you have the cask strength levels you do mm-hmm. in the Indian in the industry. Um, we tried to make a ten percent whiskey. That was uh, interesting. <laughs> it was not something we put on the market. Let's just say that, okay. but it was interesting. Yeah. But you totally switch your perception of, of what a whiskey could smell like. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. No, no. And and it's sim- it's similar like you're talking about, like with absinthe, right? Absinthe comes at a very high proof and then you water it down slowly and then it looshes. And when it looshes, it creates all of these other compounds that it didn't have at its cast strength, which it normally, I mean, there is cast absinthe, you know, out there in the market, yeah, but, but, you know, at 75% alcohol or whatever, um, you know, it, uh, once you loose it down and you add a little sugar, give it a little sweetness, I guess. Um, once you loose it down, it creates a whole different palette for, for you to go after. Like if you drink it at its normal strength, it's going to be harsh and bitter and whoa, you're not going to be able to hardly taste it. Some people do and they're crazy, but, but once you loose it down and get it down to it, all these fatty acids come out of it and it just, it turns into an amazing, amazing drink that you can sit there and sip and not, not be, be totally schnockered by the time you're done with it. So, so yeah, no, it's very similar to that. I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, awesome. I would love I would love to go back on the next episode to yeah. talking about dilutions, etc. Abs- I would uh, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. I I would I would enjoy that. We'll have to do that soon. Um. All right. Well, before we leave, why don't you give everybody uh, if you have uh, any social media or website that they want them to check out, just give everybody that, and I'll put it in the the link below. Um, so that everybody can go check your your website out and stuff. But go ahead and give us that before we get off. Yeah, I mean, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. We might even also have a TikTok uh, profile. It's not very active, but we are there. So just Google the ETOH Spirits or ETOH and you will find us. Okay. Very easy. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, I appreciate you making the time and uh, uh, to, to hang out with me and stick on real fast. I want to talk to you, but, um, but yeah, I really appreciate it. And I hope all the listeners did too. And until next time, keep your spirits up.